Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Oh, hello, Alison. And well, we're into the new financial year, 2023 financial years now behind us. And well, it was a pretty eventful um, financial year, wasn't it, Alison? I mean, Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it started in the wake of the uh, Ukraine-Russia war and it ended in the wake of, a, of almost a global um, banking crisis. So last week, you put me through my paces uh, with uh, uh, forcing me to uh, ask a whole series of tricky questions on the global economic uh, economy and the review of the year that was. So I'm going to do a switcheroo on you this, this week, <laughs> Alison. Yeah, and I'm going to put you through uh, your paces with um, what happened in financial markets in the fiscal year just ended. So, and and like everybody else who's listening, we we sort of monitoring what's happening with our superannuation returns, and uh, you know it was a pretty pretty uh, volatile period there. Um, but have you got good news for us? How did the year end up? Well, look, all in all, if you're an investor in a diversified, balanced type of fund. You should be pretty happy, I think. Uh, look, preliminary data only is out at this stage, so obviously a little bit of caution around that. But early indications are that the median balanced superannuation funds returned about 8.5%. So it's a pretty healthy return. Certainly uh, a welcome return to a, a positive return compared to the average fund last year returned negative 3.3%. And that was off the back of a number of those issues that you talked about. And also things like the impacts of COVID unwind and COVID policies, we have to mention inflation um, and, of course, increasing interest rates. So it has been a tricky environment. But, you know, around that median, there's always a bit of a spread. And just some headline numbers that have come out recently in the reports include Australian Super, which is Australia's largest superannuation fund, uh, delivering a return of 8.22% for the year. Uh, Hester, another example, a really strong return of 9.59%. And Australian Retirement Trust, uh, which is obviously a fund based here in Queensland, an impressive double-digit 10% annualised return for the year. So really strong outcomes for investors in those funds. But looking at the returns underlying that, look, as as we chatted before, look, it has been a challenging market, but really it was an equity story this year. Equities did really well, notwithstanding the fact that we had, you know, rapidly raising cash rates across many parts of the globe, fears about inflation. We really saw risk appetite continuing to see investors investing into equity markets. So, so looking at close to home, looking at the Australian market for the ASX 200, the year ended up 9.7%. International markets, as measured by the All Countries World Index, uh, in local currencies, 14.35%, a really compelling return. Underlying that, there was a little bit of a spread. So we looked at international markets, the developed markets at 16.2%, whereas emerging markets were lagging a little bit at a negative 1.1%. So a bit of a spread there, but, you know, good returns from equity markets. Yeah, I mean, that's remarkable given those returns, given what you said, you know, we know about the rise in interest rates, you know, so in the US, uh, interest rates going, the Fed funds rate, I should say, going up from zero to 5% in Australia, our interest rate uh, went from zero to above 4%, yet mm. the equity market held up there. Is there a sort of a story next level below the index level that you just referred to that helps us understand, you know, the performance of equities over the year? Yeah, it's really interesting, Matt. I mean, I think the US in particular is worth 
commenting on. Um, so the US headline return as measured by the S&P 500 was 17.6%, so a very strong return for an annualised period. But the returns are really bifurcated. We've got mm-hmm. what are now being called by some, I believe, 7-Up stocks. So it's the big 7-Tech <laughs> stocks. We've got Alphabet, Apple, Meta, NVIDIA, Amazon, Microsoft and Tesla. So the big behemoths, they make up about 25% of the S&P 500 index, so a really big chunk, but they've Mm. delivered close to 50% of that return, like very high numbers. So Mm. people are really backing that tech story, particularly in recent months, spurred on by that AI thematic. So, you know, it is is something to look at, whereas I think potentially some are more of the grassroots economy type stocks are maybe doing okay flat to you know but with positive returns but it's the tech sector that's really racing ahead mm, it's real tech rules eh? so Alison what about bond markets bond markets as you might expect given the uh, cash rates rising a tougher environment but over the year the um, Barclays global aggregate hedged into Aussie, do- Aussie dollars uh, returned negative 1.2 percent while our local Australian composite bond index returned positive 1.2 percent so on average, not a major impact to total fund returns, especially not when you're comparing it to the uh, to the equity markets, which, as I said, were just very strong, particularly in the context of the environment in which we uh, we found ourselves. Yeah, well, the bond market has suffered too, but also, you know, the darling of um, superannuation funds over recent years, you know, the unlisted assets like uh, unlisted real estate and, and infrastructure and alternative other alternative markets, including hedge funds, how have they performed this year? bit more of a mixed bag. And I think, you know, really that increase to the discount rate has been challenging for most unlisted asset classes. And Matthew, as you know, it does take time for, for valuers and valuations to adjust to those types of changes dynamics. And we just and you very correctly outlined the, the, the cash rate rises we have seen. There's also a lot more idiosyncratic factors at play. Like some, it's a lot harder to generalise. But if I was to take a stab at generalising, um, in on average, probably flat to negative the year in aggregate but Mm. breaking it down a little bit infrastructure in general you know probably not a bad year you know a lot of those assets have cpi type linkages and that has helped maintain their cash flows they're also you know very critical to the economy um, and and do provide those strong cash flows so there's a lot of demand for those assets so we are seeing valuations and demand for those assets um, in general continuing to be strong so pretty good returns there if you're in the right assets in the right assets, of course, mm-hmm. assets selection does make a big difference. Private equity, where valuations, you know, are more lagged, um, we have seen a few write downs, really, which is a reflection of that discount rate. But again, there is a very wide spread, and asset selection makes a very big difference. Property is probably a little bit more nuanced that, depending on the region and depending on the sector. Some areas of the property market are quite challenged, and and you would have heard in the press, US office in particular, where there's this impact of you know people not necessarily coming back into the office in some areas, putting some real challenge around valuations on US office property, and then we have seen some pretty sizable write downs on a one year basis for some of those assets. On the flip yep. side, hedge funds, it's much, definitely been a much richer opportunity set for those type of assets. Previous, you know, the last few years have been pretty tough for them with interest rates anchored around zero and that leading to not much volatility in currency markets. That is all uh, for grabs now. And so we are seeing some interesting and, and early returns being uh, commented on from that sector. So, but overall, we're really looking at a lot of the sectors being flat to marginally positive, you know, some good cash flows, but the real driver of returns has really been that equity story. But I think 
that also points, Matt, to that benefit of being in a diversified fund. While not all asset classes fire at all times, you know, having not all your eggs in one basket gives you that diversification. And, and this year, equities was a driver, but look, it, it it's builds to a long-term wealth accumulation strategy and uh, great that investors have been able to earn some positive real returns this year. Also, I think, you know, the selection process, which assets you're getting into within those within an asset class, uh, which managers you're choosing, they're all sort of important decisions now, aren't they? Absolutely. Look, I think I'm going to do a bit of my crystal ball gazing now. Potentially, <laughs> it's you know, we've, we've had that real strong backstop from the Fed for the last few years, and it was really, and we also had decreasing interest rates. That was sort of almost a rising tide lifting a lot of boats, and we could use a bit of financial leverage, and it really did potentially cover a few sins. Whereas now, I think we'll see some dispersion returns coming uh, from from different managers over the over the coming years. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast where I'm discussing markets with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, back to you quickly if I can. We would be remiss at not discussing the RBA meeting um, that occurred this week. Yeah, another really tight call. Uh, luckily, we were on the right side of the call. The RBA, in fact, decided to pause at this week's meeting. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to last, Alison. Oh, dear. So what's going to drive policy over the remainder of the year? Well, even though headline inflation is coming down, um, it's been driven down mainly by goods prices, the falling goods prices, and unfortunately, the prices of services, they're still being driven higher by strong demand. And with a tight labour market, uh, we have the uh, risk of wage growth also adding to pressure to services inflation. And it's that stickiness of service inflation, and it's linked to wages that will force the RBA's hands. That linkage is... The service sector is very labour intensive, so strong demand for services increases demand in the labour market, keeps the labour market tight, drives wage growth up. And with strong demand, the service sector is in a position to, to uh, pass on those higher wage costs to in the form of higher prices. So you run the risk of a good old fashioned wage price spiral. And that's what the RBA is really concerned about. Yeah, they certainly are. And I think same as we're seeing in other markets as well. So where do we think rates will end up in Australia then, Matthew? Well, I think at least another 25 basis point is likely to come, uh, most likely in uh, the next meeting in August. That'll, Of course, they'll have the June quarter CPI report, which I don't think will show enough slowdown in that services inflation mm. to keep the RBA on the sidelines. And there's another uh, hike possible before year end. Uh, we've got it penciled in for September. So bang, bang, uh, uh, Alison. Uh, good news is at least at that point, with the cash rate at 4.6%, I think the RBA will end its tightening cycle. All right. Well, and another potential two to come. Right. Well, let's uh, pencil those ones in. Matthew, thank you for joining me today. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10.